Hello, I'm Rachel Lyman, and we want to welcome you to our 2023 Interfaith Connection podcast. This is a Spiritual Life Center monthly podcast dedicated to the exploration of faith traditions that promote love. Rev. Dave Lyman is my partner in marriage and also my senior minister partner for our Interfaith Explorers organization. We're both so excited to be starting our third year of podcasts on this grand adventure. Our goal this year is to explore and make new friends at faith communities in the greater Sacramento region where interfaith continues to grow. We also want to encourage your feedback as you participate in interfaith events and field trips, read our newsletter and listen to our monthly podcasts. So as we say each year, buckle up and get ready for the exciting year ahead. Good morning, I'm Reverend Dave Wyman, and we want to welcome you to the first Interfaith Connection podcast of 2023. Today's podcast is a real special treat for our organization. Interfaith Explorers has a long history of field trips and classes to the Salam Mosque for the last 15 years. Salam stands for Sacramento Area League of Associated Muslims. In the past, We've interviewed the Salam co-founders, Executive Director Dr. Metwali Amir and his wife, Dr. Rosalie Amir. Recently, within the last year, Salam has named a new Executive Director, Abdul Kawi Abdul Karim. During today's podcast, we're going to have the opportunity to spend some time with him. We're going to talk about his relationship with Salam growing up, his hopes, his dreams. Abdul Kawai. It is an honor to welcome you to our podcast. It's so exciting to have you here today. Thank you, Reverend Dave. It's a pleasure to be here. So tell us about growing up in general, where you grew up, how you grew up, and the fact that you grew up Muslim and what that was like. Indeed. Uh, so uh, thank you again for inviting me onto the podcast. I'm uh, excited to share my story, and hopefully uh, the listeners can gain some benefit from it. Uh, my name is Abdul Kawi Abdul Karim. I was born and raised Muslim. I was born actually in New York City, Harlem, New York, uh, to a intentional Islamic community. And what that means is a bunch of people got together, you know, mostly folks in their uh, uh, late teens up into mid thirties and decided to establish a Muslim community within Harlem, uh, New York. This is in the sixties. Uh, so they all decided to move to a particular location a particular neighborhood, you know, uh, bought up some property and started to build their lives together. Now, uh, being that this is the 60s, this was a time of a lot of uh, 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 social critique. You know, civil rights movement was in full swing. Uh, 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 building oneself up was uh, the call for the day. And being a person of integrity was certainly something that was being uh uh, pushed within American society. So I grew up, my community came out of that. <laughs> how do you uh, better yourself? How do you better your family? How do you shift the tide of uh, 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 the status quo in America? And really, how do you build communities that are healthy and sustainable? Um, and uh, for me, growing up, I grew up in the 80s. So in that time period, the community had already been existed for 20 years. Uh, there was already some established norms. You had an Islamic school within the building. The, the 
this is New York City, so there are tenements. So uh, in a five-story building, two of those floors was dedicated to the masjid, and then uh, three of those floors were housing. So people actually lived in the same building that they prayed. So literally, I just walked downstairs to pray. Uh, my siblings and I were all a part of the uh, Islamic school at the time. Uh, uh, it was called a Bibala Day School. Uh, <laughs> so it was elementary school. Um, but we lived and connect with the community as any other child in the 80s would. Uh, so went to public school. And in growing up at that time, you know, there was always a uh, distinction between, you know, how you live as a Muslim and what you might see in the everyday world. You know, so most of the Muslims that I knew in that era were connected to my community. You know, so the same people that I saw walking up and down the stairs or, you know, saw at the Friday service, Juma, uh, were some of the same Muslims that I saw in my public school, you know, because we lived in the same neighborhood, went to the same elementary school or same middle school, et cetera. Um, interestingly enough, those are only some of the only Muslims <laughs> at the time that I would see inside of school or inside the neighborhood um, uh, with people who I knew very well. Um, fast forward into uh, the 21st century, I worked as an educator for over a decade. And now I see four, five, seven to eight Muslim students in a classroom. Uh, in my era, it was five or six Muslim students to the school. Uh, so it's definitely been a shift. Uh, a pleasant shift, you know, there uh, is more a community built uh, when you're able to see yourself amongst your peers uh, and see your values lived out loud amongst your peers. You know, there were uh, significant challenges and fights, uh, both uh, legally and physically, to establish one's identity as a Muslim uh, prior to the 90s. And, you know, uh, I grew up in New York. So, of course, the uh, as a uh, more liberal-leaning city, the idea of having celebrations and acknowledgement of different cultures is not something new. However, uh, our Friday service in Juma, uh, it was a fight to have, uh, you know, this is a New York thing, but alternate side of the street parking. What that is, is like, you know, during certain times of the day, you have to move your car in order for the streets to be cleaned. You know, so it's a two-hour period. And you know, if you double parked your car, you can get a ticket. In New York City, tickets are $165. So it's like it's a big thing. It's like a dance that happens multiple times a day where all the cars move from one side of the street to the other side of the street. It's very difficult to do during Friday service. You know, you can imagine you have hundreds of people gathered together, uh, the amount of traffic jam it might produce, and everyone having to move their cars right in the middle of Friday service doesn't make sense. So it took years fighting to get uh, that suspended on Fridays for prayer service. It took decades fighting for the Id, the major Islamic celebration of the year, to actually be considered a city holiday in which students are let off from school. You know, it took years fighting to be uh, released from school in order to attend Juma services, prayer services on Fridays. Uh, now you have schools, uh, thank God, where uh, students actually gather together and hold their Juma services on a college campus or on a high school campus that are student run. Um, so it is a, 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 a world of difference, even in the short time that I've been on this earth, um, to see that the uh, growth in um, uh, uh, Islamic culture and really the understanding and welcoming of Islamic culture into the American fabric.
you know, America is full of different cultures, experiences, religious, religions, beliefs. That's one of the things that makes the country beautiful. Um, and it was a long time coming before Islam was thought of as a critical part of that fabric. But progress has come about. And so that, that brings up another part of the question, hmm. because your progress was impacted so terribly in 2001. Uh-huh. And what that was like for you, because we uh, we were very involved here in Sacramento and mm. see some of the, the terrible things that happened in terms of suspicions and things uh, took us back to the Japanese internment that occurred yeah. here in the uh, state of California after World War II, after Pearl Harbor. So mm. what was that like for you having to suddenly it's like there were three steps back? Yeah, that was a great question. Doing? <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> and it's so interesting that you said. I remember the the moment, the moment uh, in which I uh, realized what was happening uh, in New York, you know, my home where I grew up. I was actually in college in my dorm room, getting ready for classes, and you know, I heard some commotion in the hallway. Um, you know, uh, listening to the radio as I normally do, uh, and the talk show radio that I was listening to was talking about, oh, well, such and such happened, you know, morning talk shows, they always have pranks. So I literally thought it was a prank until I hear the commotion outside my door building. And the one guy on my hall who had a TV uh, in his dorm room was sitting there, watched the door, his door was wide open right across from me. People were gathered in his room. So I was like, what's going on? So I walked over looked at it and saw, you know, the towers on fire. At that point, it was just actually just one. Um, and my immediate response was, I got to call home. You know, so I went across the hall, saw it on the TV, went back. Oh, this is real. Let me get in contact with my family. Um, and, you know, making phone calls, trying to get through, trying to get through. All the phone lines were dead. Uh, no one can get through. It was jammed. It was hours before I can actually get in contact with my family members. Um, so that, that was a very visceral experience for me. You know, like a, uh, there are times in uh, in uh, any country's history where everyone remembers where they were when that happened. And this was one of those for me. Um, uh, but as a Muslim living through that time and that experience, it was uh, twofold. You know, one, in the community that I grew up in, again, it was a planned community. Muslims had been a part of the fabric of the neighborhood I grew up in for decades. So the sense of, oh, this was a Muslim attack, I put that in quotations, that was being spread uh, in public media, uh, was very foreign to my neighbors. It's like, no, I know the Muslims. They're the one who cleaned up the streets. They're the ones who did the street fairs. They're the ones who do these community walks. They're the ones who participate in these protests against uh, police violence. They're the ones, like, those are my neighbors. I know them. They're not the ones who did this, <laughs> you know? So that very real experience. Uh, and again, this is New York City where uh, uh, there is uh, uh, a higher level of diversity than in some other parts of the country. But then a very real different experience. I went to college in North Carolina. So in Greensboro, North Carolina, a very different experience in walking down the, uh, uh, my college campus or walking across the street to uh, the grocery store. And, uh, you know, for me, uh, there's no hiding my name. My name is Abdul Kawi. Uh, and I 
don't shy from my Muslim identity. So when folks ask the question, my Muslim, yes, I'm Muslim. Like, what of it? <laughs> I've been Muslim my whole life. I've been in this community my whole life. You know, it's not an issue. Um, but for a lot of communities, it brought Islam to the forefront. So if you didn't have Muslim neighbors, if you didn't have Muslim schoolmates, if you didn't have Muslim co-workers, your first introduction to Islam is this news broadcast coming across your screen, right? And then that being the narrative of uh, who Muslims are and what Islam is about, as opposed to your neighbor that's been living next to you, who you might even know that's been living next to you for the past 20, 30, 40 years. Um, so as a, a very surreal in that sense of knowing uh, and experiencing life in the community in which I grew up in, and then experiencing life in a community, college in this case, where Islam was again foreign. I'm like at that time on my college campus, we had uh, 2,500 or so, 2,800 students. Uh, six of them identified as Muslim. Wow. Yeah. You know, so a community in which like entire building, in fact, multiple buildings on a block are all Muslim. The neighbors know we're Muslim. The neighbors greet us with salams. You know, we're praying probably for uh, Friday prayers. It's on a loudspeaker. People, non-Muslim, looking forward to it. And then the community where, you know, amongst thousands of people, you have less than a dozen. What a you know, and then having to educate. Absolutely. Absolutely. And all, again, under this uh, purview of 9-11 and the uh, media portrayal of trying to uh, 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 uh share about a culture, share about cultures and a religion uh, in sound bites. Now, when you graduated from college, did you go mm -hmm. back to New York? I, I actually went to DC for a period of time. Uh, my uh, foray into trying to go to law school. <laughs> so I was in DC and again, more of a, 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 a left-leaning city, so more open in terms of its environment. Um, but of course, my family is in New York, so going back and forth over those years, um, you get to see like snippets and glimpses. You know, you see it for a couple months at a time, and then you travel, you come back, you get another couple months at a time, and move back to New York for uh, a period of time uh, after. So, you know, it's it's interesting what truth we learn when we engage with people directly as opposed to hearing about people or about things uh, via whatever media channel it is. You know, it used to be on, you know, uh, uh, local news, uh, then on, you know, CNN, and now we get it in Twitter bites, Twitter feeds, Instagram posts, and Facebook posts. Um, and that's not a, a fair summation of anything, <laughs> let alone entire religious beliefs or values or cultural practices. Um, but it's when we don't have or uh, uh, don't choose to engage with our neighbors, then that's often what we fall back on, you know, sound bites. So one of the things that I found happens is in our religion of birth, mm. many people have a religion of birth and then leave it. You mm. lived it. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, for instance, I was born and raised Catholic, mm -hmm. and I think back to that, and there's some things I absolutely love, some of the rituals, and I was an altar boy and all of those things. Yeah. 
What is it that you absolutely adored about growing up Muslim? Oh, the community, oh, by by far. Oh, absolutely. Now, oh, and it's interesting that you say that. You know, I, absolutely. In growing up, you know, um, for me, Islam was more practice than theology. You know, it's you're in a community, so everyone is doing this thing. Everyone's participating in this activity. You know, so um, your experience and you're gathered under the umbrella of Islam. So all of these experiences, whether it be Boy Scouts or, hey, we're going on a, an outing, whatever it is, was all with your Muslim family. So there was, it's hard to separate the two, right? Uh, for better or for worse, you know, that's some reason why, at times why some people leave a religion is because they experience a religion based off of that community or that family's interpretation of it. And that may actually be toxic uh, and, can't distinguish from the religion and the uh, personal experience with that community. You know, um, and it's uh, sadly true in a lot of different uh, uh, faith practices. But for me, uh, growing up in my community, uh, 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 connecting with people, uh, connecting with who I call family who had no blood relation, you know, but they were closer to me and my own experience and development than um, uh, others who share the same blood. I remember one distinct, <laughs> one distinct story. Uh, my uncle, who is uh, uh, not related by blood, but he's a member of my community who I grew up with and who treated me like a nephew since my birth uh, and treats my father like a brother uh, since way before I was born. And to me, without question, he is my uncle. Um, I was coming uh, middle school uh, on a lunch break, you know, New York City Middle School, you could go away for lunch. In fact, it's a privilege to be able to leave campus for lunch and go to the park or go get a slice of pizza or something like that. So lunch break, you know, me and a couple of friends were walking over to a park, which is four blocks away to play football, you know, as we did, you know, at least three or four times a week. Uh, and as I'm crossing the street, uh, 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 going towards the park, literally maybe a block and a half away, I hear honking <laughs> and so on. You know, Abdul Kawe from the window of their uh, car. I turned to him, like, who is he? <laughs> and it was my uncle uh, on his way to work, uh, uh, stopped at the stoplight. He's like, what are you doing out of school? And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to, like, we have a football. We're going to go to the park. <laughs> I'm standing in the middle of the street. But that was the type of care uh, within the community. You know, it's not just you're going to drive by as you see someone, again, no blood relation, but that's my nephew. And I want to make sure he's all right. You know, so and what are you doing out of school? You know? It's even beyond that, because you, again, have are, are involved with a faith tradition where your extended family is in a whole number of people that are parenting type members of your community absolutely and so you can turn many ways mm. and have many connections and i think that's so powerful in growing up it gives mm. you a foundation that's much stronger than uh, than those that don't have that yeah you know it it's i don't think it's unique to islam uh this oh, idea no, of brothers and sisters and faith absolutely you know it's something that in fact uh, uh we hear quite often you go to most faith houses you hear people call each other brother or call each other sister or et cetera. And again, no blood relation, but this is how we relate to one another. I think one of the uh, unique things in Islam is uh, communal prayer. All right. So 
five times a day, we are mandated to uh, stop and remember God. And uh, we are encouraged in that mandate to do so communally. So we come together uh, before the sun rises or after the sun sets or uh, just uh, uh, later in the evening and we pray together, right? And then that opportunity in that time is an opportunity to check in. Hey, how are you doing? What's going on? I saw you this morning. You look a little uh, sad this evening. You okay? <laughs> you know, it, 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 it encourages us to be together in ways that uh, especially in uh, modern times, we often are not. You know, it's yeah. very different when you can be, see someone in front of you, give them a hug, feel their energy, than to get a text uh, or uh, a quick phone call. You know, not to say there's anything wrong with that, but it is to say that it's it's not a replacement for human connection. So in that human connection, you're able to then start to build and establish better bonds, you know, simply by being with one another. There's nothing... There is nothing more clear about the divine and humanity when you look into the eyes of another. Mm. It's right there. Yep. And and it overtakes any Zoom meeting. It overtakes any text. So I love that process. So how did you find out about Salam? Did you know about the mosque before <laughs> you made the application? Oh, that's a good question. I did know about the mosque. Uh, I actually only visited once. So uh, my wife and I, uh, you know, were praying for uh, a healthy spiritual home to uh, uh, to connect with, you know, and started visiting different places around the country um, and exploring, like, you know, what's there, what's available for us. Um, and, and visiting Sacramento, I was okay, Sacramento, West Coast, and try it out, see what it is. Um, we actually visit several different masjids, you know, going from south all the way north at uh, over a half dozen masjids. We stopped in to pray in or tried to pray in uh, uh, and uh, had various different experiences. And just before we were scheduled to leave, uh, scheduled to leave actually on a Friday night, we intended on uh, going to the Friday prayer service, Juma at Salam. We actually wound up missing that prayer service because we went to a different one. We were trying to catch both and time wasn't working. So we caught the end of it. But we said we're going to go anyway just to check it out, experience it, uh, see how it is. And uh, one of the staff members there, the office manager at the time, but Osama, uh, took time out of his day, stopped what he was doing. It was after prayer service, the very busiest time of the week, and showed us around the masjid, you know, gave us some history, you know, introduced us to different places. Um, and happened to be that our flight, which was supposed to leave that Friday evening, was delayed. So we had an extra day. And the following day, there was a community outing, a hiking trip to uh, Auburn, uh, led by the imam. Uh, and we decided to go on that hiking trip. You know, because we have another day. What else are we going to do? <laughs> uh, and between those two experiences, really uh, uh, found some uh, connection, some uh, 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 resonance um, uh, in the community. Uh, and a year later, and exploring different opportunities, looking for uh, some uh, uh, direction from God and really trying to step in faith, we were having a conversation one evening about, you know, like, we say we want to 
uh, we're, we're trying to step out in faith, but we're acting, we're behaving as if we're waiting for a sign or we're waiting for permission or waiting for something as opposed to moving in faith. Uh, and just as we were finishing that conversation, my wife pulled up the computer and the position was there posted. <laughs> Within a month, I had applied, interviewed, and was offered a position. So uh, I truly believe that it was uh, guided in faith and I accept it as an act of service, uh, as we say, law for the love of God. So when she called that up and you guys mm. started talking, how long was it before you decided we're going to put in an application for that? The application was put in that evening. Wow. Yeah. You know, it was one of these things like if this is like if God is pointing in this direction, we should not hesitate at all. We need to move and move now on it. So we stay up the rest of the evening until it was it. There's a, there's that famous quote, and I, I paraphrase it, but essentially it says, when 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 it is God's will, all the doors open. It's as if you stepped onto a water slide. Mm, exactly you're on your way <laughs> and it's not so much that you're in charge anymore you're just riding along to that finished product no and if you if you try to uh uh exert some level of control all it will do is produce anxiety you just gotta let go and let god as they say you know uh ride the wave there's a there's a statement that says you, you are totally in control of your life when you give up all control of your life Hmm. There are, and you can tell where people are in their process by how they react to that statement. So you've been there next month for a year. Exactly. Yeah. And so what has the first year been like for you? Uh, certainly a learning experience, you know, uh, uh, being a part of any community newly, um, brings a lot with it, you know, learning the people, learning the culture, uh, establishing yourself, building connections, network, et cetera. So all of those things are true. And on top of that, uh, being in a leadership role within a community. So you're learning it as well as learning to direct or steer it at the same time. So uh, uh, learning experience uh, uh, doesn't fully capture it, but <laughs> that's what I'll go with. Um, but definitely, you know, what we saw as uh, a space for ourselves is true. God is true. So we believe that this was uh, direction from God and he delivers all the time. Um, uh, and in that, we know also that uh, in our faith tradition, God doesn't give us more than we can handle. Uh, it doesn't mean that we won't grow in the process. So <laughs> oh, I, uh, I see the... the um, the challenge and uh, the responsibility. I believe it is a weight. It's a, 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 a being responsible and accountable for a community uh, as uh, an honor uh, and as well uh, a test. You know, it tests us in our resolve. It tests us in our faith. It tests us in our uh, uh, commitment and our willingness to uh, uh, believe in the decree of God. Um, and for me, it's forced me to grow, you know, uh, in a lot of beautiful ways. You know, so as I, uh, go into a second year, you know, I really thank God for the opportunity to be of service, uh, and also 
for the opportunity to learn and grow. Like okay. if I if he's put me in a position to learn and grow, then he's not done with me yet. <laughs> There's still some space, you know. Uh, if uh, uh, I need to build and develop skill sets, that means he has, in my opinion, I interpret that as uh, he has more plans for me and what I'm able to do. So I'm I'm happy to serve. Well, he and he has not. He has definitely not put you in in charge of a quiet mosque. <laughs> True. <laughs> you know, Salam is a interfaith leader besides being uh, an, a Muslim or an Islam faith mm. leader in the Praise community. God. Yep. And so you you have a tiger by the tail, and you're yeah, right, right <laughs> on the top of it. So, uh, oh. are there some community events coming up for your mosque that you want to share today um, about coming up? And one of the things, uh, as we as we talk about that, talk a little bit about Ramadan and some of the things you guys do there too. But start off with what's what's exciting you about what's going on at Salam right now? Beautiful. Uh, so, a lot of things are exciting me about Salam. The biggest being uh, uh, just as we build and grow out of COVID, you know, for uh, the past several years, the community has largely been uh, kept separate, you know, for unnecessary health precautions. And now we're starting to see uh, folks coming back and coming back in large numbers. So there's uh, several things that we're working on. And one of the biggest being Ramadan, which is only a month and a half away, March 22nd is when Ramadan is projected to start. Uh, so we're preparing for that, but also throughout the, uh, between now and then, We'll have several family programs, activities, and get-togethers. Uh, we often have uh, interfaith work in uh, uh, events that we participate in, sometimes host. Uh, we're working now with Faith TV to put on a uh, filming, a screening uh, 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 related to uh, finding faith and inviting the greater sacramental faith community uh, uh, to join in that conversation. You know, so. Uh, these type of activities where we get to bring together a community at large, you know, thank God, like, there is a significant Muslim population who calls Salaam home, who are there every Friday, right? Um, and uh, those uh, members of our faith community and, fam and uh, faith family, uh, we get to see and connect with on a weekly basis. But there are other members of our community we don't see as often. So I'm looking forward to this event uh, as a, a way to reconnect and invite uh, our extended faith family back to Salaam uh, and learn together and discuss and talk together. Now, so that should happen sometime in February. So working out the details of that, uh, once things get finalized, we'll send it out. Um, but in addition, uh, um, particularly for Ramadan, we have a tradition uh, called our interfaith iftar, which happens usually the third Thursday of Ramadan, uh, which would be in early April this year. Uh, and what that is, it's a gathering of faith leaders all throughout the sac greater Sacramento area, you know, as, as far as Auburn, actually, um, to participate in a dinner where we talk about fasting from different religious perspectives, uh, particularly from Islam. We share about uh, our faith practice in Ramadan and beyond. Fasting is not isolated to Ramadan. Um, but then also hear from uh uh, especially youth in their experience of fasting in their faith tradition. So uh, over the years, uh, this event has grown from just a handful of faith leaders to uh, a soiree of 150 plus uh, uh, community members enjoying uh, dinner and fellowship 
Uh, and we look forward to having that be uh, again this year. But one of the things we really want to reestablish is having the faith community present. You know, oftentimes, you know, last year we had the mayor there, we had some Congress people, assembly folks, uh, and we welcomed them as always. Um, but we strongly encourage and send specific invites to faith leaders so that we can engage in this conversation as, you know, holders of spirit in the greater sacramental area. Uh, you know, it's uh, uh, behooves us to connect as neighbors and really learn about each other and share with one another. So this is one of our staple events that uh, creates that space within our community. And we, we uh, that has been an amazing gathering through the years. So for all those listening to the podcast, we will be advertising that. As soon as we get the information from uh, Salam, you will know about it. Uh, just as an aside, we want all our listeners also to know that we are doing a special program on March 8th called the Ramadan Challenge. Those of you who are not Muslim, who have always wondered about that 30 days when they go through cleansing and clarity and clarifying and getting that connection with the divine. Mm. We're going to put together a Wednesday night program where we're going to get down to the nuts and bolts. How do you do it? Mm. Then we're going to challenge you to step into it. So more information will be coming on that also. So as we, we come near the end of this a uh, couple things. First of all, are there is there anything else you want to make sure we cover? And then once we do that, would you like to give? You are the voice of the mosque today. <laughs> Last year we were blessed to have yeah. five hundred listeners, mm. and so there will be people once you're on our podcast that will be able to come and listen to you. Yeah. So if there is a message from Salam. To all our listeners, what would it be? So those are the two parts. All right, I'll do my best. Uh, first off, I want to say uh, uh, that I stand on the shoulders of interfaith leaders from Salam who have been active in our community for 30 plus years. Uh, so a way I may be uh, uh, a new voice in the chorus, uh, certainly there have been uh, well-established voices who have led the orchestra for years. I want to acknowledge uh, 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 their contributions uh, that us has allowed me to be in the position and, and positioned uh, Salam to be in conversation with you, Reverend Dave, and to have listeners hear us um, uh, in this area. So um, for all of those, I thank them for their service and I acknowledge them for setting a groundwork and a stage for these type of conversations to happen. Uh, particularly you know, coming from Salam. Um, you know, and with that, you know, there is uh, uh, really a shift in the sacramental area that I want to lift up uh, and encourage people to uh, 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 really embrace. And that is sacramental has long been a home, a hub for refugees from around the world. Uh, uh, whatever crisis is happening in the world, when people are fleeing their countries, you often see them uh, settle in sacramental or the sacramental area. Uh, and that is still true today. Uh, and it's especially true for Afghani refugees, uh, uh, Syrian, uh, Uzbeki, uh, 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 Kazakhstan, uh, folks who are largely coming from Muslim countries. Uh, and when they arrive here in Sacramento, 
um, they are usually arriving with little to no resources. So as much as they are uh, our Muslim brothers and sisters arriving newly into our community, they are also new uh, residents of Sacramento. And I encourage our uh, uh, listening uh, uh, body to really reach out as neighbors to those folks who are new to the community, uh, to embrace them, to share with them, to learn about them, uh, to share about yourself such that they can uh, really integrate into our society more easily. It's never easy uh, building new, right? Um, and in many of our faith traditions, uh, what in Islam we call a hijra, you know, a, a move for the sake of God, you know, to flee persecution or towards a better life is uh, an act of faith. So there are folks who are coming here through an act of faith, looking to build a life for themselves, fleeing uh, some hardship or persecution, and really looking to uh, uh, establish their families. Um, so uh, Salam specifically will be uh, uh, establishing some programs and do and currently have programs operating uh, to help with those communities. Uh, but we encourage others in our community to really uh, take some time to learn your neighbors, uh, share with your share from yourself, uh, and if you can, uh, donate to organizations which are supporting refugees coming into uh, Sacramento and beyond. You know, it's a a, a calling for humanity. Uh, and especially for those folks who uh, 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 believe in a higher power. Well said, well said. And uh, just for our listeners, again, there are a couple really strong organizations in Sacramento that are working with the different faith traditions that are set up just for that purpose. So if you uh, have the... the uh, wherewithal to do some volunteering those those two places can be found through the interfaith connection um, by contacting us and we can point you in the right direction um, and then keep an eye on salam on the programs they're doing or check with the interfaith council of greater sacramento wow and and i want people to know that the shoulders that um, that he is talking about include people like dr irfan hawk I met uh, Abdul Kawai at the United We Stand uh, event, and Dr. Hawk, who I've known for 25 years, um, dragged me over to make sure I met, as Dr. Hawk said, the new Metwali Amir. Uh, <laughs> I, I wouldn't take that claim, but no, no, I thank God I'm following him. No. So we really want to thank you today for your time. Um, and the the ability you have to just share your heart um, and the wonderful salam that you're working with at mosque is amazing, and you will be a wonderful uh, part of it. Uh, we want all our listeners to know that Interfaith Explorers will be putting together a field trip to Salam this year. Uh, we're not sure when it'll be, but you will know because we want to reacquaint ourselves. We haven't been over there for a bit of time. Um, and when we go over, we work with the mosque, with the staff, and um, we love how many times we've been over there through the year. 
Mm. When scheduled, the event will be advertised on our Interfaith Explorers page at Spiritual Life Center, www.slcworld.org. This has been Reverend Dave Lyman of Interfaith Explorers and Abdul Kawai, the um, Executive Director of Salaam. You've been listening to the Interfaith Connection podcast for January. We look forward to continuing our connection with the new executive director of the Salaam in many ways in the coming days, and we thank him for his time today. Amen and namaste and farewell. Thank you for joining us today to explore a deeper understanding of our interfaith look at the world. This 2023 podcast will be aired the fourth Thursday of the month on Spiritual Life Center's website, slcworld.org, under Interfaith Connection Podcasts. You can also listen to our previous 24-plus podcasts at this same location. And we want to hear from you, so send us your comments, questions, or suggestions to me. That's Rachel Lyman at rachel24 at surewest.net. That's R-A-C-H-E-L-2-4 at S-U-R-E-W-E-S-T dot net. And let us remember as we go along our different paths that Gandhi once said, a peaceful exploration of all faiths is our sacred duty. Namaste.